Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm going to continue with chapter four of my new book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. Thank you so much for the great response so far. Courage to Serve and Save, Chapter 4 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 In the summer of 2018, Sergeant Justin Wood looked down on the firefight from his Black Hawk helicopter. He could see the enemy's mortar rounds exploding on the positions of his friendly forces. His door gunner opened up on the enemy position with a 50 caliber machine gun. The aircraft went up and down the line strafing the enemy before landing near the U.S. position. Justin thought to himself, this is getting real. Justin works as a PJ, or Pararescue Special Forces Operator for the Air Force. He fights while rescuing downed pilots and soldiers behind enemy lines. He also became a disciple during the spring of 2015. Justin and his friend Seth treated two U.S. soldiers that day and brought them safely back to the forward base. Justin met Seth a few months before deployment at his daughter's birthday party in Tucson. He'd invited a few members of his team to celebrate with him and his wife, Brittany, and son, Gabe. At the party, Seth noticed that a few of Justin's friends were churchgoers and told Justin he and his wife, Michaela, were looking for a church. Justin and Seth became friends and began studying the gospel together and continued to do so on their mission together. During the day, they would treat and rescue soldiers, and at night, Justin would teach Seth about what it means to follow Jesus. Seth got baptized a few months after returning from their mission. At the end of 2018, both airmen received the 2018 Air Force Rescue Mission of the Year Award for their courage in saving the injured soldiers. Justin exemplifies courage under fire and the ability to keep Jesus' mission front and center while not losing track of his career objectives and purpose. He has a both-and mentality, not an either-or mindset. It's disturbingly common to lose sight of the mission of serving and saving other people in our attempt to develop our career, build a family, get additional education, or plan for retirement. We end up putting our life mission on hold while we wait for a better time. As we get more established in our lives and career, fear keeps us from helping those around us. In the 1996 movie, Saving Private Ryan, Private Stanley Mellish finds himself in a hand-to-hand fight to the death with a German soldier. All the while, he is yelling to Corporal Timothy Upham to come back with more ammunition. Upham! Upham! Little does he know that Upham is only a few feet away on the other side of the wall, frozen in fear on the stairs. The German soldier slowly drives a bayonet through Mellish's heart while Upham listens to him die. As the German leaves, he doesn't even waste the effort to kill the terrified Upham who's thrown his hands up in surrender. The lesson is clear. When we give in to fear, people end up dying. Jesus warned against this fear of people when he said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them 
when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Fear clamps our mouths shut and keeps us from releasing captives. When I was supporting my ministry work by working as a realtor, I was too concerned about how my outreach would affect my real estate business. I was worried about how people would view me. I didn't want to come across as weird or unrelatable. I started making excuses that I needed to be relatable, that I should just build relationships. The problem was I wasn't saving many people. I made all the excuses in the book like, I'm too busy or I'll get around to it. I'd simply allowed myself to become ashamed of Jesus and his words. I was letting fear of people keep me from saving them. It's so easy to allow worry and anxiety to shut us up. You might find yourself looking back to your campus ministry days or new Christian period as your quote-unquote golden age of evangelism and service. You might be making excuses that people are too busy, not open, or that you aren't good at it anymore. You might be blaming changing times, increasing resistance to the gospel, worldly millennials, or tech-addicted Generation Z people. You may tip your hat to outreach, acknowledge it as necessary, but are you making disciples? A few years ago, an 80-year-old elder from another church came to visit our church. Ed and his wife Paula were scouting for a spiritual home since they had been forced to shut down and sell their church. At one time, this church had a vibrant campus ministry and was growing. When I asked him why he and the other elders had decided to close down the church, he said, we weren't making disciples. I wasn't making disciples. I want to make disciples. These two have become some of our boldest and most committed disciples. During the first week of school at the University of Arizona, we offer free water and snow cones in the 107 degree heat. That couple spent hours and days side-by-side with disciples 60 years younger than them, offering a cold drink and an invitation to life to students who were born well after they had retired. This elderly couple proves that at any age or stage of life, you can rekindle the passion for helping others. The Apostle Peter offers another example. Though he boasted that he was ready to die with and for Jesus, when the time came to back up his words, He caved in to cowardice. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 73 through 75, it writes, After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Less than two months later, Peter has transformed from a coward to a courageous spokesperson for the new Christian movement. Standing in front of the masterminds behind Jesus' execution, he tells them, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Acts 4, 12-13. 
The Jewish leaders could see the courage of Peter and his band of brothers. Jesus' resurrection had not only brought new life to his followers, it kindled new faith-filled confidence based on what they had seen. Peter's example shows us that even those who've been cowering in fear of people can become audacious advocates of Jesus. Sometimes moving to a new location offers an opportunity to change our behavior dramatically. During the transition period between Oregon and Arizona, I made a list of all the good things that I had done during my time as a self-supporting minister. I also made a list of 18 things I had done poorly and wanted to do differently in my new church planting. The top of that list was to stop being ashamed of Jesus and freely share what Jesus had given me. I wanted to save more people and stop worrying about people's responses. I set a goal to share with more people than I had ever done before. I asked for advice from people who excelled at outreach. The result was that I met six people who became Christians, and those people immediately reached out to their family and friends, and another five people they knew got baptized. College students, single moms, single adults, married couples, and college athletes. It was fantastic not only to see the joy on their faces as they turned their lives toward Christ, but also to see my character grow more faithful and bolder. You can live a fruitful and meaningful life. You don't have to be born with a specific temperament. You don't have to be gifted with a spirit of outreach. You simply have to decide to toss timidity. As Will Rogers said, you've got to go out on a limb sometimes because that's where the fruit is. Kent and Rosalia Bailey climbed out on a limb by deciding to move to Tucson and join the mission team. Kent and Rosalia were in their late 40s and had two kids in elementary school. They were leaving a solid church that had been their home for two decades. Talking on the phone together before I moved to Tucson, Kent and Rosalia said, there's something you need to know before you choose us to be on the mission team. I said, what? They said, it's been 17 years since we've helped anyone become a Christian. Do you still want us? At that point, I was desperate for any living, breathing bodies to join the team, and I said, absolutely. I told them that the narrow evangelistic focus of a mission team would allow them to be more fruitful than they had in years. They joined the team with us, and together, they helped four other couples follow Jesus in the first two years of the church's existence. From barrenness to abundance. How do you make the change from fear to fruitfulness? It starts with resolving to stand up. At some point, you have to simply decide you won't live in fear of what others think anymore. Remember the five regrets of the aged? Number three on the list was, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Peter must have made that decision to express his feelings in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Talk to the friends you know and those you don't. The place to start is by reaching out to your friends and family members. I know, I know. Rob, I've already invited them and they aren't open. 
Keep in mind that they may not have been receptive at the time you originally shared with them, but time and circumstance can alter people's spiritual desire. Transition, trouble, and tension in people's lives will create a desire for spiritual answers and support. Divorce, financial pressure, moving to a new town, illness, and isolation can all open a closed door to God. Once you've talked to all the people you know, seven billion you've never met remain. Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, not just the people you know and feel comfortable with. This is where the dreaded cold contact evangelism comes into play. I've heard it said that one thing both Christians and non-Christians hate is evangelism. It's a true saying. You've probably let yourself off the hook by telling yourself that since you've talked to everyone you know, there's nothing more to do. You are at a crossroads. One road leads to uneasy and uncomfortable obedience. The other way leads to a familiar and yet fruitless aversion to God's will. Moving to a new town forces you to talk to people you don't know. One day I was reaching out to students who had just finished working out at the university's recreation center. I passed out free gum and an invitation to church. No one appeared receptive at the time. The following Sunday, a young man showed up at the church. He was the boyfriend of someone I had invited in front of the recreation center. They were looking for a church to go to together, and she had sent him to scout our church. He liked it enough to bring her the next week. They got baptized a few months later, and over time, her sister and parents started coming and became followers of Christ. Lower the bar. We can put up so many barriers in our minds that prevent us from helping others. We worry that we don't know what to say or how to answer questions. We might stress out that we don't know enough of the Bible or that we aren't talented or attractive enough to reach out. My advice is to lower the bar of fear and make it easy for yourself to get into the game. One method that's taken the terror out of outreach is servant evangelism. Steve Sogren made this accessible in his, his book called Conspiracy of Kindness. Servant evangelism combines small acts of service with an invitation to a spiritual event. Our church has adopted this approach to offer free bottles of water or snow cones in the desert heat. We've tried free car washes, free lunches, and other acts of service. Along with church invitations, we'll pass out gum, power bars, and candy to people passing by. We'll often do this the first week of school or before sporting events as fans are filing into the game. They'll give us a quizzical look and say, thank you. When asked what the catch is, we simply answer, we're trying to show God's love in a practical way. Servant evangelism has enabled many fearful members of our church to clear the hurdle they've set up in their minds. I tell people that if they don't feel comfortable sharing, they can watch or simply hold a free water sign. Before, before they know it, those once trembling disciples are smiling as they hand out gum and invitations to church. When I go sharing on my own, I'll sometimes trick myself by saying, I'm just going out to give out 20 free protein bars to those coming out of the gym. Somehow, this allows me to view it more as an act of service and reduces the pressure I might feel. Practice fearlessness. Nearly everyone I know wrestles with faint-heartedness at times. Whether it's simple reluctance or deep-seated dread at the thought of talking to others, one of the best ways to grow in this area is to practice fearlessness. 
Teddy Roosevelt grew up as a sheltered and sickly child. However, he became a lion-hearted leader who personally led an attack up San Juan Hill in Cuba while under heavy rifle fire at the age of 40. Here's his secret in his own words. At the outset, almost every man is frightened when he goes into action. But the course to follow is for the man to keep such a grip on himself that he can act just as if he was not frightened. After this is kept up long enough, it changes from pretense to reality, and the man does, in fact, become fearless by sheer dint of practicing fearlessness when he does not feel it. How can you practice fearlessness? Start with areas that you've been avoiding or making excuses about. Start with small things and work up to more fearsome challenges. For example, give someone an invitation card to your church at a restaurant or a supermarket checkout. Invite someone at your work to have dinner with your family. Door knock your neighborhood. Pass out invitations to your church or to a small group. Ask a friend who's been attending your church if they'd like to study the Bible together. Share with someone how your life has changed. Once you make the first steps of faith, your fear will fade away. You will become a different person. You'll sense a surge of power and a revival of your spirit. Practice fearlessness. If you're still frozen in place when it comes to reaching out, here are a few thoughts that have helped me firm up my backbone. Don't forget you're dead already. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 through 3, reminds us of a spiritual reality. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Everyone baptized into Christ died to their old life and now lives to please Jesus. I've never seen a dead body afraid of anything. It no longer worries about appearance, retirement, or the opinions of others. I remember sitting in a marketing class at UC Berkeley shortly after becoming a Christian. I wanted to reach out to my classmates, but I was hesitant. Then I remembered, I'm dead. I realized that as a quote-unquote dead person, it didn't matter what these people thought of me. As the class ended, I stood at the exit and invited everyone to share to, to my church at the time. One of my classmates came and became a Christian. Jesus is with you always. The fall semester after I graduated from college, I was working as a, at a, as a part-time church intern for $400 per month. I was a little over one year as a follower of Christ and had no experience in spiritual leadership. My campus minister assigned me to lead a group discussion at Bowles Hall, a dormitory located next to Memorial Stadium at the University of California campus. I would leave my apartment at the corner of Dwight Way and Piedmont Avenue and walk along Piedmont toward the dorm. I felt the dread of a condemned man heading toward the gallows. As I got closer, Bowles Hall rose like a medieval castle towering over me. I imagined myself as Don Quixote charging windmills. The only thing that gave me courage was reciting over and over Jesus' promise in Matthew 28, verse 20b. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I didn't know anybody in that dorm. And I wondered how I was going to accomplish Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. The only thing that kept me together was knowing God was by my side. 
Despite my fear and lack of experience, five young men became Christians that fall semester in that dorm discussion. If you're jittery about evangelism, go back to the promise that has been made to nearly every person called to do something special for God. I am with you. God said that to Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and he says that to all of us today. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Fear the right thing. UC Berkeley is an ideal missions training ground. Urban, gritty, filled with strange people. Berkeley is the birthplace of the liberal free speech movement in the 60s and is still a hotbed for protesting. Berkeley demands a lion-hearted commitment to spreading the gospel. Members of our campus ministry would gather around the fountain on Sproul Plaza, pray, and then go sharing. People would reject invitations to church with laughter, smirks, and swearing. This hostile atmosphere forced me to dig into the Bible for a shot of courage. While having a quiet time in Isaiah, in my cubicle, in the Doe undergraduate library, I stumbled onto this scripture. From Isaiah chapter 51, 12 through 13. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. This scripture, along with Isaiah 40, compares people and entire nations to grass, dust, grasshoppers. It was as if God were reaching down and placing both hands on either side of my face and tilting them skyward while saying, Rob, you are in awe of the wrong thing. The more I meditated on passages like this, the more my meekness melted away. One day, soon after, I was inviting someone seated at the top of the steps in front of Sproul Hall, the main administration building. He stood up, started yelling, pushed me down the stairs. I stood up, gathered my scattered items, and said, have a good day. After regaining my composure, I kept on sharing. When you are faltering, Remember the person you should fear. Jesus says we should reserve our fear for God alone. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 5, the message edition says this, I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you, but then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body, and soul in his hands. Martin Luther King Jr. preached to a packed auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama on September 28, 1962. It was the final session of the four-day Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Standing out in the crowd of well-dressed religious leaders was a six-foot-two white man by the name of Roy James. King noted the man was wearing only a t-shirt and getting increasingly agitated the more King spoke. Finally, the man rushed the stage and pounded King with his fists. MLK stood there and absorbed blow after blow. 
When the audience recovered and stopped the man, King said, don't touch him. We have to pray for him. After speaking with a man in a private room, the police came and arrested the attacker. King declined to press charges. This courage to fear God more than man and to literally turn the other cheek is one of the reasons everyone in the United States takes a day off every year to remember Martin Luther King Jr. Fear is a killer. It keeps people from being rescued and it kills your dream of spiritual impact. Get your game on. Go for it. Gut check. Get the time. Plan a servant evangelism activity. Go to Sam's Club. Buy a box of juicy fruit gum and pass it out next week. Get the tools. Get or make some invitations to your small group or church. Get your eyes on God. Pull your attention away from people and put them on the power and permanence of God. Thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner Podcast. You can find this book on Amazon along with my first book, How to Plant and Grow a Church, a Complete Manual for Small Church Growth. If you're enjoying this podcast or book, please let your friends and family know. You can also email me with feedback or questions I'd love to hear from you. Rob at TucsonChurchOfChrist.org. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.